Hello and welcome to the Friday, October 29th, 2021 edition of On Iowa Politics. Happy Halloween. This week, redistricting part two, vaccination mandate relief, and local elections. Hi, I'm James Litz of the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and with me today are Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. And just for the benefit of our listeners, Amy is in costume uh, today. <laughs> That's right. I'm dressed as either thing one or thing two, and uh, thing two is tragically missing. So I'm going to make up missing posters and pass out flyers if you've seen <laughs> thing two. We'll please watch for the post. Please let me know. <laughs> also with us today is Aaron Murphy, State House Bureau Chief of the Newspapers. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. I, I am also in costume as a uh, schmuck about to go on Iowa Public Television. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a costume. <laughs> it's a lifestyle. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics wherever you find podcasts. First up today, redistricting part two. Iowa, we have a plan. The Iowa legislature approved a plan for congressional legislative districts for the next 10 years. Aaron, we really didn't know if the second time was going to be the charm for redistricting when the legislature convened for the special session. It's second special session. Despite Republicans promising to follow the process, Democrats were warning that the majority party was going to take the process to the third map and then create their own. Any thoughts on why the Republicans took the second plan other than it, it's a pretty good map for them? I think you've summed it up pretty well. Uh, I think we can move on to the next question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I mean, look, that was definitely a part of it. Um, it certainly was better for them than the first map, especially at the congressional level, which caused a little bit of uh, chaos with some of the districts and, and created um, a, a virtual Democratic lock in one district. This one uh, kind of keeps things more status quo, where you've basically got three districts that could be competitive in any given year. Um, and then obviously the fourth district, which um, uh, won't be uh, competitive until uh, the second ice age. So um, uh, so from that standpoint, it, it, it made a little more sense Um the state house boundaries. Um, I don't know whether those necessarily improved uh, for them. Those were always going to be messy uh, because uh, just of how um, this works. It, you know, those folks are um, a lot of those folks live close together and they're, and they're just unavoidably going to get tossed in against each other. Um, that's just going to happen. Um, and and the other thing. And, and Republicans didn't make note of this, is LSA, the nonpartisan agency that draws these and proposes these maps, did what Republican Senate Republicans asked them to do after the first map, which is they whittled down the population deviations a little bit and, and for the most part made as many districts as possible um, a little more compact than the first uh, map. So that's the other key thing here, too, is uh, when Republicans rejected that first map, they made very specific requests, listed very specific reasons why that they, they rejected those, and LSA uh, responded to those requests um, in those maps. So um, it, it, I think it's a combination of the maps are just generally a little bit better for Republicans, and it, it, it would have been a little more difficult to reject a set of maps when the group did exactly what you asked them 
to do. Um, and, and then you also look at, so let's say they reject those maps. Now there's only one set left and you're stuck with them. Uh, so they could have gotten worse again. You could have had a set of maps. And I'm sure this was part of the argument in that uh, Republican caucus, if there was any back and forth on this, was, um, look, if you don't like these, fine, but we don't know what we're going to get and they could be much worse. They could be more like the first round and then we're stuck with them. And yeah, you know, we have our majorities so we can do some editing to a certain degree, but you're still bound by state law. You go too wild with that. It's going to end up in the courts and just drag this thing out. Anyways. I think it just made a lot of sense uh, for Republicans to, to approve this one, which is why I, um, I, I kind of wrote last week and I, I had no way of knowing for sure, but I suspected that they would take these maps uh, for all those reasons. The Republicans did note that the, the second map wasn't perfect, but it did right, yeah. the, the requirements of the Constitution and state law, but it wasn't perfect. The mm-hmm. Republicans uh, have a majorities of 60-40 in the House, 32-18 in the Senate now, and the folks who follow redistricting, like some people follow fantasy football, say this plan should protect those Republican majorities for the next 10 years, and there's been speculation that Republicans could even get a supermajority meaning the legislature could override a governor's veto, although that seems unlikely with this governor, at least, uh, that she would veto anything that the legislature sent her. Uh, also, based on 2020 presidential election results, Joe Biden carried only 18 out of the 50 Senate seats and 37 out of the 100 House seats under this plan that was just approved Thursday. Uh, so, I mean, it really does look like a pretty good map for Republicans, uh, unless Iowa's political bent really changes. And one thing I have heard from Democrats the past week is that they're conceding that winning control of the Senate and the House might take more than one election cycle. So they're targeting, selectively targeting people. In the Senate, they're going after Majority Leader Jack Whitford from Ankeny. And uh, I mean, that's one of those suburban districts where Democrats think they can make gains. They're also targeting Senator Robbie Smith of Davenport, who sponsored bill Democrats called voter suppression and made the argument for voting down the first districting plan. Aaron, you're familiar with Ankeny District there. Is Jack Whitmer in trouble? Does he have reason to worry? Well, um, a little bit, yes. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that he, he needs to be in full panic mode yet. It, it is a district that has, as you noted, um, it's one of those suburban districts where Democrats have um, made a little bit of him improvement um uh now it's a new district and and it and and i haven't had a chance to crunch those numbers yet but i suspect there's a chance that it got a little bit better for democrats just because just because of population shift and and i believe that district now includes less of kind of the rural uh polk county areas outside of ankeny more than just the city of ankeny itself um so yeah i i mean i think he's jack whitford won't be able to coast let me put it this way. He won't be able to coast through the next election and just um, spend all his money helping other candidates and, um, you know, not worrying about his own race. He'll have to run a race for re-election. He'll have to spend, he'll have to defend his seat. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's a moral victory enough for the, for the Democrats where even if they can't uh, knock off Jack Whitford, you know, they prevent him from using um, his resources to help uh, a bunch of other Senate candidates. Um, but, but I expect it will be another competitive race. I mean, uh, Democrats won one of the House seats here within the last few elections now that Republicans won it back. 
um, the next cycle, but it, but it does show that there are some shifts and, and, and he will have to put up a defense for that seat. Should, should he be panicking? I don't, I don't know about that yet, but he'll have to do a little work. And, and uh, Robbie Smith is paired with longtime Quad Cities legislator Jim Lycom. So we'll have to see if they both stay put. Man, what a local race that would be, huh? Yeah. I, I mean, because Jim Lycom's been around for quite a while. Uh, as a, I, I think maybe he served on the city council there and he was in the House before he went over to the Senate. So, uh, yeah, that would be a race that attracts a lot of attention. This plan also creates four congressional districts which again appear to be GOP-friendly. Perhaps Republicans represent three of the four districts now, and based on, again, 2020 presidential election results, Trump carried three, maybe carried four. Amy, it appears this congressional map will give us a competitive race in the new Northeast Iowa 2nd District. Probably take us 10 years to remember it's not the 1st District, it's now. <laughs> Representative Ashley Hinson already represents much, I think her campaign said 90% of the people in that district, and it appears it'll be good for Republicans. Will that be enough to overcome the advantage Senator Liz Mathis will have in Lynn, Blackhawk, few counties that uh, trend Democratic? Yeah, and, and the districts themselves, you know, yes, the numbers changed from one to two, so that'll be something that you'll have to get voters a little bit used to, but I think regardless, voters really don't normally know what district they're in. They just know who's on their ballot, and bottom line is, you know, Ashley Hinson and Liz Mathis are still going to be on the on the same ballot in, in the same district, and Lynn, Dubuque, and Blackhawk County, which are the Democratic strongholds, aren't changing in that district. So you're basically looking at a very similar map. Um, I was just taking a look sort of at the different configurations of counties. And I kind of like the new map because I'm one of those people that likes really similar things and symmetrical things. And, and it looks a lot more symmetrical. You know, if if you remember the, the first district we have now, um, there's like a whole cutout where the fourth comes in. Um, that basically goes away and becomes a lot more, um, you know, sort of the quadrant of Northeast Iowa that you think of, you know, that that your neighbor votes the same way as you. So that in that way, it sort of um, becomes a little bit more symmetrical. Obviously, um, there's there's different considerations. You know, you're you're losing a couple down south. You're gaining a couple in, in the very east. Does that matter? I think these counties are still largely rural. They're still, you know, um, you know, going to basically like run out the same. I don't think if I'm Ashley Hinton, I'm that concerned about it. Like she mentioned in her statement, you know, she's got 16 of the 22 counties are still in the same district. 90% of the population is still in the same district. I think that she's probably going to basically run the same campaign and her opponent hasn't changed. So that's really good news. And neither of them have to move. So that's awesome. Yeah. I guess one of the big questions facing uh, Republicans mostly is in what's the new first district where there is no incumbent. Uh, Representative Miller Meeks represents most of that district, but this new map puts her in the third district, which is now represented by Democratic Representative Cindy Axney. Uh, the question is whether she'll move into the first district, which is an area she represents now, or stay in the third and challenge Axney. The rumor I'm hearing this week is that the National Republican uh, Congressional Committee wants Miller Meeks to run in the third and challenge Axney in what could be seen as a toss-up district. And then they think that Zach Nunn, a state senator who is running for the Republican nomination in the third district, but represents part of Jasper County, which is in the first. Uh, they're trying to convince him to move into the first and run there. Um, 
which doesn't seem like a, a, a safe district for a Republican. So that might be a, a, a tough sell. Um, one thing passage of this plan will do is open the gates for people who are interested in running, but have been waiting to see what the districts look like and who they might be running against, whether there's an incumbent uh, in the district or um, it's an open district in some cases where, with no incumbents. And it's not unusual for redistricting maps to trigger turnover as some incumbents choose to retire, others lose primary elections, and in some cases, lawmakers move to maintain a residence in a district they see as more friendly to their re-election. So uh, let the games begin. <laughs> <laughs> also in the special session, the Republicans uh, who traditionally don't like mandates uh, passed a bill to give Iowans uh, relief from uh, employers' vaccine mandate. Um, and while this wouldn't protect anybody's job, it would make them eligible for unemployment benefits if they lose their job because uh, of medical or religious objections to getting a vaccine. Folks who oppose vaccines and vaccine mandates don't think the bill goes far enough. If the legislators can't do better, they said in a demonstration of capital, uh, vote them out. I'm not sure what that will accomplish if they'll get a, a friendlier legislature than what they already have, uh, because I'm not sure how much farther you can go. Uh, Don't knock on that wood, James. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should, I should You've seen these that. school board elections, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this bill doesn't require an employee to get confirmation of the health risk from a, a healthcare professional it's just up to them. They tell their employer that I think this might be injurious to my health. And if the employer accepts that, fine. If not, if they discharge them, then the person is eligible for unemployment benefits, which doesn't didn't make the bill popular with business groups whose members pay unemployment taxes. Amy, with Republicans expanding eligibility for unemployment benefits to include people who choose not to work, Democrats tried to extend benefits to striking workers, as well as require employers to cover health care benefits for striking workers. That would have been good news for UAW members, right, I guess? Sure, it, it, would, have, it would have been good news. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, that was one of their, their big worries um, that um, Deere sort of tried to let them know, you know, we're, we're not going to be taking that away. There was a rumor that it would be taken away. Now I really have no idea what's going on with UAW member health care. I'm hoping that they're still getting it. I would think that if they were cut off, um, someone would have let us know, you know, that that was the case. But um, Deer, I think, was, um, you know, came forward and was like, we're going to, you know, keep that. I think at least in this area, um, it seems like the elected officials and the, um, you know, the community as a whole is, is really um trying to look out for these workers. So I think, you know, Deere sees that and is, is still trying to be a good neighbor. And, and um, like they said in, in their uh, uh, internal docs that were leaked, try to keep brand favorability high. So in order to do that, I think they're really, it's, uh, it's really um, important for them to keep health care for those workers. All right, moving on. Local elections are coming up Tuesday, city and, and uh, uh, school board elections. And I remember that a few years ago when the legislature moved to combine these elections, 
opponents argued that school board races would get even less attention than they were getting, which was very little attention. Well, thanks to COVID mask mandates, or as someone at the Capitol <laughs> referred to it the other day, mask abuse and critical race theory, school board elections are getting plenty of attention. Too much, perhaps. City council elections are probably getting more attention than usual. Aaron, uh, your community is one where the school board has been getting a lot of attention. How is this playing out in the election, and what do you expect to happen Tuesday? Yeah, it's it's. I'll tell you one way it's played out is it. Ankeny right now looks like um, you would expect a, a competitive area to look like during a presidential election with all the political signs out. I mean, there, there's as many, I see as many signs for school board candidates as I do during caucus season almost, it, it feels like, uh, driving down some of the main um, roads in Ankeny right now. So like you said, there's, there's a lot of attention being paid to this school board uh, race and, and you listed the exact reasons why Ankeny that's it's happening all over but here in Iowa it feels like Ankeny was um, if if not the certainly one of one of the ground zeros for um, um, these issues that have kind of become hot button topics uh, on the local level so um, a lot of attention a lot of resources obviously being put in from both sides uh, both um, uh, um, and and we've talked in the past about the politicization of this these kinds of races. I mean, it's, it's, they don't say I'm a Democrat or a Republican, but it's pretty easy to figure out. Um, and, and, and both Democrats and Republicans have, have put, uh, put money into these things. I'm, I'm so, so it, it, uh, what's going to happen. I, I honestly don't know. It's going to be so interesting because I assume we'll have much larger turnout than you normally would for a school board election. Um, I, I assume that, um, you know, it's not just the high interest that I'm sure there's a, you know, more door knocking and that kind of stuff going on than usually would be for an election like this. So, so I assume we'll have a much higher turnout. Um, so I, I know it's that cliche that we always fall back on, but it really does depend in this kind of a situation on that turnout in which, you know, which candidates are able to um, get their people to cast ballots uh, because it, this electorate is going to look, I, I'm sure, uh, a lot different than than you know previous school board elections so it's going to be very interesting to see how this goes and you know whether it's the candidates who have been pushing to end mask requirements in schools or whether it's the candidates who are are supportive of districts that make those decisions that you know what which kind of candidates um will be ultimately be successful i'm, I'm very interested to see how that turns out Amy, uh, reading your stories in Courier, it appears to me there's a lot of interest in city council elections. Are these races com competitive or is it just a lot of noise? I mean, there's definitely noise. I think um, as you get that noise, um, an election can be more competitive. Um, people may come in that were sitting on the sidelines and decide that um, they do want to go vote in, in an election that, you know, historically has lower turnout than a, a presidential election or even a midterm election would. Um, so it's definitely possible that we could see a little bit more um, competition in here as far as the money goes. Um, we were digging through the, you know, campaign finance disclosure forms that came out yesterday. Yay, campaign disclosure day. And basically um, the mayor's race is um, not financially competitive, um, but has raised more money than they ever, ever have. So Margaret Klein, um, who was challenging the mayor, raised, um, uh, 
35 and change, 38, I'm, I'm not remembering right now. Um, and the mayor, that's, that's thousands of dollars. Normally these races are like $12,000, $15,000 races. She raised like 38. Mayor Hart pulled in $148,000 in this filing period, which is astronomical for a uh, what basically amounts to um, a, a, a small race. I mean, you're, you're talking about mayor of a city in Iowa. You know, we're not talking about like a large metropolitan area. So the fact that um, this race is garnering that much um, funding um, and is also getting competitive in the news could very well mean um, that we see people come off the sidelines and vote in ways you know that we haven't before. And we're already seeing that with absentee ballots going up. Um, now, whether that translates to more votes at the polls too and a record for a city election, or whether that simply means that we're replicating 2020 and more people are voting absentee than they would at the polls is yet to be seen. I think the report that came out yesterday, the disclosure forms, uh, one of the challengers, Cedar Rapids raised 181,000 um, for the mayoral wow. race, which it just blows my mind wow. um, that you would raise that much money, spend that much money. Uh, it's a three, yeah. well, it's a four-way race. It's sort of like a three and a half-way race. There are four candidates, but uh, <laughs> three who are really competing, and uh, they're doing a lot of advertising, yeah, uh, a lot of flyers in the mail, a lot of TV, uh, radio. Uh, so mm -hmm. yeah, this is this is something billboards, we, billboards we haven't seen before. So. Amy, I'm curious, uh, are you mm -hmm. hearing anything from your auditor about what his projections are for turnout uh, compared to previous city and school elections? Well, I talked to him about absentees and already. So, for example, um, in 2019, which was the first time the city and school boards um, were combined. So that's really the, base, the best way we can compare it. There were about 1,700 um, absentee ballots and already last or this past Tuesday, a week before the election, so they still have a week to get in their early voting and absentee ballots, there were 2,700. So you're already seeing a giant jump. And again, whether that means that there's going to be more at the polls or less, you know, he he's not really wanting to speculate, but even just based on absentees, he think it'll, it'll be a big year. I'm not sure uh, how hotly contested the races are in New Hartford, but Senator Chuck Grassley got involved this week when he uh, ranted to Attorney General Merrick Garland about the uh, Attorney General's memo involving the FBI and its National Security Division of the Justice Department in addressing threats to school board members. Uh, he said the Attorney General was intimidating parents who wanted to speak at the school board meeting. Um, th this follows the National Association of School Boards sending a letter to President Biden uh, expressing concerns about these threats to school board members. Uh, since then, that letter has been withdrawn. The Iowa uh, Iowa Association of School Boards sent its own statement out uh, a week or two ago saying, hey, we have nothing to do with that letter from the National Board. Um, that's not what we're saying. That's not what we're thinking. So this, is, this has been a very interesting little uh, sideshow, I guess. Well, that, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. If you enjoy the podcast, tell a friend and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Send your fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. You can find us on the homepages of the Quad City Times, the Sioux City Journal, the Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Jeremy Jacobs will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Aaron, Amy, and Stephen, our producer, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. 
Remember to vote Tuesday and be well.